0: Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher. Welcome to While You Were Folding. I created this podcast to continue the conversations about the things that matter in domestic life. I'm a Catholic homeschooling mother of six. My husband, Philip, is a pediatrician and we've been married for 14 years. I've learned a lot, usually in messy or painful ways, and I have so much more to learn. I'm excited to share this episode with you, and I hope you'll add your voice to the next one. I pray before I record every episode that God will use this podcast to inspire each of us to holiness in our vocations as wives, mothers, and His beloved daughters, and that you will go on to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's jump in. Hello, hello. Philip and I are taken while you are folding on the road. (laughs) We are on I-80, headed to a family gathering in Omaha, and uh, rather than try and edit an episode that I had previously recorded, we thought, let's have some crummy audio and do a car podcast. Welcome. (laughs) So... (laughs) Those of you who have not been listening to the show for a long time, who might be new, let's do a quick introduction to my special guest, my husband, Philip. Philip, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you do when you're not doing what you do? <laughs> and uh, yeah, go for it. Uh,
1: I am Catherine's husband. I also am a pediatrician. And practice here in Nebraska and then at the rest of the times I hang out with our family I don't know I read we hang out and relax and spend most of our time just spending time as a family
0: yes Philip just met his Goodreads goal for the year which is 52
1: books and it's only what November so I would my goal was a book a week and I bested that by seven weeks
0: So, job well done. Thank you. We all have goals that we're working towards. But what's
1: yours? Because yours is a lot higher.
0: (laughs) Uh, I think for 2022, the goal was 75.
1: And did you make it already? Probably.
0: No. I think I'm seven shy. I I scaled back.
1: What, What happened is we started watching The Office in the evening. Like That's kind of our weighing down activity of the moment is one office episode. And Catherine likes to deep dive on the episodes. Uh, And so what that means is listening to the Office Ladies podcast before. And so that has significantly cut into your audiobook reading time because you're listening to at least one episode of the Office Ladies almost every day.
0: Well, I would attribute it more to my extreme fatigue and just turning out the lights and going straight to bed instead of... Hmm not reading reading as much in the evening gotcha i've just been so darn tired at the end of the day but all is well i have felt very good about my reading life lately so as you can tell reading is something that we definitely connect over but huge shout out to jenna fisher and angela kinsey on the success of their podcast the office ladies i'm a little bit late to the party but those of you who are not as familiar with the show, The Office, came out when Philip and I were in college, and we loved it. We watched it then, and we've been re-watching it, as he said. But in an ideal world, I would be able to listen to an episode of The Office Ladies. This is Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey's podcast, where they each individually re-watched the episode. They were both stars on the show. And they do deep dives, fun facts, talk all about what happened in the episode, both on the screen and behind the scenes, and it's a lot of fun. And if you want to do an even deeper deep dive on The Office, they also have an audiobook with Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, and a regular book as well. So yeah, it's just been, I think we all could use a little bit of lightness and lightheartedness And it's been a fun little easy win at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. 20 minutes. It's funny.
0: Yeah. So it's been fun. Um, Okay. That was a lot of talk about the office. So Philip and I were just doing a quick brainstorm here, thinking about what kind of a topic. And Philip came up with the idea to talk about discipline. We thought first we'd talk about a little bit of the history of what discipline has looked like in the past in our parenting And what we do now, and some closing thoughts. But maybe we should set the scene, if anyone's a new listener, talking about maybe what our early marriage looked like and how many kids we've had in different stages and that kind of thing. Uh,
1: So we have six kids now. At one point we had five, and then four, and then three, and then two, (laughs) and then one. So I'm not sure what the rest of the history looks like in that regard. Well,
0: okay, maybe I need (laughs) to be a little less cryptic. Okay, so... This is a little bit off the fly. We did not rehearse this, as you can tell. Um, Where I was going with this was I was a former high school teacher and Philip was in medical school when we started our family. And so our financial resources, our time resources were quite limited. And those early years of marriage and parenting were very much... I would say times of scarcity in those ways and trying to mm. f- figure things out and do things the best we could. Gotcha. And I think it was a time of a lot of stress just in terms of figuring things out and doing the best we could. Philip had a lot of scarcity in the world of sleep. Mm. Those yes. Oh my gosh. Those early years of parenting, the amount of sleepwalking and sleepwalking.
1: <laughs> because I was in residency and so we did a lot of long shifts or 24, 30 hour shifts for pediatrics. And so I would come home and fall asleep or sleepwalk. One time I Catherine found me in the bathroom turning the water on at like two in the morning or something to give one of our kids a bath. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm giving Walt a bath. Um, that was terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. So those were tiring times. And when you're tired, and when you're um, just not getting all of those buckets filled up, then it's hard to discipline the way that you want to. And I find that that often results in parenting either the way that you're parented or things that just get results without kind of thinking about the long-term of is this what I really want to do in terms of the relationship and connection and teaching of my child.
0: Yeah, and so it was a lot of just like everyone figuring things out as we went and I decided to start staying we made the decision as a family that I was going to start staying at home after our first child was born I finished teaching that school year and then it was a big adjustment just me and baby Jane at home and we added our babies pretty quickly fast and furious we had Jane and then Walt came 15 months later and then shortly after that we had a miscarriage and then almost immediately after that got pregnant again and then here we are we've been married for 13 years we've got six kids on earth and one in heaven and there's been a lot of trial and error and I think we've just had to have a lot of good open honest communication about what's worked along the way what has not worked along the way and what would you add to any of that with our history?
1: I think yeah I think that you like pick up little tidbits along the way or somebody tells you you should do this more or you get enough side glances or (laughs) dirty looks at restaurants or at the checkout line at the grocery store or something like that that you figure out these ways to get your children to comply Um, And so then those kind of work or you escalate to try and keep those working or figuring out new consequences. And so I think in our early years as parents, we did a lot more of like timeouts or counting or um, consequences that then escalated. It goes from like no, what did we watch back then? No blues clues to you know we're going to cancel the trip to disney world or something like that like you just keep escalating the consequences to try and get them to comply with what you want to do
0: and that really backfired when we had some kids that didn't really care about (laughs) i think that's how all kids are it's (laughs)
1: that's what i hear as a pediatrician all the time is like they don't care if we take away this or this or this and I'm like, yeah, they, they don't care. They have other things to, you know, keep their interests. Like, consequences like that, like just taking away toys or activities or things like that often just punish the parents more than the kid.
0: Oh, yeah. It was, we were trying to negotiate with terrorists, and you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So.
1: So I think we did a lot of, like, timeouts and found ourselves, like, trying to hold the kid in timeout, and then they're just getting a lot more attention, and it's stressful, and you just get frustrated and irritated, and then it's harder than to be present as a parent because you're angry or you took it personally. And then, you know, that just leads to more and more. It's kind of a downward cycle of they don't respect me. They're not listening. I have to hold them in time out. And it just kind of makes you feel like a crummy parent at the end of the day and takes away from the enjoyment of parenting.
0: Well, and in those early years when we were parenting from this place of scarcity with the financial resources the time resources um we very rarely had babysitters at that time we didn't have families that were in a position to be able to help so it was on us and that made it a lot more difficult in a lot of ways and we were some of the first people in our social circles to figure out, to, not to figure out, <laughs> to get married, start having kids. Um, so there was a lot of isolation in that way and just feeling like we had to figure it out on our own. And um,
1: Well, I think one other thing too is I think everybody goes into it with the idea that it's going to be easy or that, once it clicks it clicks and then things are smooth sailing like once you figure out that oh this counting method or this timeout method works then they'll be disciplined and you don't have to do it anymore you don't have to you know keep trying to figure that out or then things will get easy I mean it's kind of like if we only you know weed the garden this one time then only flowers will bloom well it really kind of takes constant upkeep to keep the weeds at bay
0: yeah I heard on, I've mentioned her several times on the podcast. Her name's Misty Winkler. She has a podcast and a website called Simply Convivial. And she talks a lot about how our jobs as wives and mothers and as parents, it's all repetition. And that as soon as the repetition ends, it ends. It means that there's death. And that it doesn't mean we're a failure as a parent if we have to keep repeating ourselves and do the same things over and over again but i think philip's right that i as a mom and as a disciplinarian had this attitude of well once i get the right formula once i check all the right boxes then every we'll have it all figured out but as with everything in parenting i think philip and i had to come to a place of realizing oh wait no everything in the lives of young parents changes about every 3 months if right. not more and you figure out the thing that's going to work right now and then you're going to have to pivot again in a couple months, if not sooner. Right. And the earlier we realized that, the more peace we had because we realized okay, parenting is all about flexibility, adapting, recognizing our our kids are going to be in different developmental stages. They'll be able to respond to different things better than other strategies. And then also, Philip and I as people are constantly changing, growing, hopefully getting more healthy and wholehearted in terms of the way that we are responding to our kids' emotional outbursts or bad behavior and that kind of thing. And I think blessed be god the two of us over these 13 years of marriage and now 12 years of parenting i think have grown a lot and not always because it was good and beautiful sometimes it was hard and really messy but out of that has come i think much healthier parenting mm-hmm. in ways of coping with things
1: yeah i think it's it- you realize that everything changes. And so you adapt with it rather than holding fast to something that was working once it stops working. And realizing too that everybody has different bandwidths at different times. You may have a stressful season or a job change or pregnancy or illness. And at those points you can give yourself or your spouse more grace that, okay, we're not going to be at our best. We're not firing on all cylinders, and so we can't expect to be as good of parents as we would like to if we had a full night's sleep and we're exercising and connecting and all those things. It's like if you're a tennis player and you sprain your ankle, you can't expect to play tennis as well. And so holding yourself to this high, utmost standards at all times isn't really fair to yourself. It's not fair to your spouse to hold them that way. When there's all the different things, the slings and arrows of life that get thrown at you that you often don't have control over?
0: I think um, it would be helpful to talk about what we have noticed in terms of patterns, behaviors, things that we see ourselves doing now that are different in terms of how we're parenting and handling Mm -hmm. discipline that are different than the ways we used to handle it.
1: I think one is making more light of it when our kids are doing crazy things that kids do um and being able to laugh about it more and take it a little less seriously than in the past i think that today at church um gloria wanted something that dorothy was holding
0: our three-year-old our
1: three-year-old wanted something our six-year-old was holding and (laughs) it went from can i please have that to like bilbo with the ring of power like grabbing the both hands grabbing (laughs) Dorothy's hair in the church pew to rip it out of her (laughs) hand and stuff like that and we're just like whoa that was unexpected you know and it would be easy to say oh my goodness we got to take her out we got to discipline her we got to give her some sort of consequence she can't have a donut later something like that when realizing okay We've been at Mass for quite a while now, it's the end of Mass, she's been relatively quiet and, you know, at the best behavior that she's able to do, she hasn't had a snack in a while, it's probably a combination of these things uh, that have contributed to (laughs) her lashing out and whoa, 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 we're just going to try and de-escalate the situation rather than at that moment teach, you don't pull someone's hair, or how dare you be loud in church, or something like that, that's not the time for any of those discussions, it's just how can we de-escalate things, make her feel understood, move on.
0: I think we should add a little bit of nuance. We're not laughing as it's happening. Yeah. Philip and I are able to give each other the raised eyebrow look to let each other know, okay, we're on it. We got this. So he was holding our baby, Helen, as this is unfolding, Gloria is next to me and you know, moms of young children at mass, you always have your peripheral vision going to make right. sure you know what's going on down the pew. And I see Gloria suddenly lunging toward Dorothy and I just do the quick mom sit down in the pew and pull Gloria up onto my lap and start whispering into her ear to find out, why are you upset? And instead of trying to shut down the bad behavior, I think the focus becomes, why are you so angry? what's going on? Mm-hmm. What are you feeling right now? And working toward understanding instead of trying to stomp out the bad behavior. Because right. I've learned as a mom, nine times out of 10, the bad behavior is coming from a place of, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm tired. I'm. Did I say hungry? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> almost always awesome. a trigger. So it's really important, especially with a three-year-old that has all these big feelings and isn't always able to communicate why, to just sit down with them and say, I see you, I hear you, I'm here to help you. How can I help you get whatever it is, not literally getting the thing they want, but to be understood so that they can work through it.
1: I could hear you saying, "Like you really want that, it was some like sewing thing, you really want that sewing letter right now something along those lines and then she says yeah that's what I want and that's just a kind of way to quickly de-escalate things as you make them feel understood rather than how dare you do that we're at church right now you're going to get in trouble when we get home you're not going to get your donut something like that that's just going to add more fuel to the upset fire
0: yeah so instead of I think several years ago, I probably would have launched into, Oh my goodness, you're not getting your pink sprinkle donut after mass. But that was not at all on my radar. Instead it was, Whoa, I can tell you're really upset. And this is whispering into her ear and putting my arms around her arms in a big, powerful hug. Right. To restrain (laughs) the child. So
1: no more hair gets pulled.
0: Yeah. Um, because let's get real kids get physically violent sometimes yeah. and philip and i have talked a lot about how it's all impulse control and learning to control that and you know moms dads human beings we all have those moments of oh my goodness i'm going to fly off the handle right. and as we get older we figure out how to control that and it's easy to forget as adults that a three-year-old is not always capable of that
1: right like for a three-year-old maybe what what I think we would do would be then to talk about it later you know down the road after things have cooled down a few hours later the next day even and say okay remember yesterday at church you really wanted that sewing letter and Dorothy was holding it and you got a little bit upset and pulled her hair how do you think that made Dorothy feel what could we do next time instead of pulling the hair and screaming that they that you wanted it like what what could we try next time
0: yeah and today in that moment after she had calmed down a little bit and I felt like I could release her from the bear hug I said can you ask Dorothy for a turn and I bet Dorothy would give you a turn if you asked her nicely and Gloria is so good at belly breathing and doing these deep breaths (laughs) and she was doing that really hard on my lap and she turns to Dorothy and she says, can I have a turn? And eventually Dorothy, what? she's still growing. <laughs> she didn't hand it over. She did a little launch across mm-hmm. the pew at her, but we'll call that a win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like she threw it at her? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> she threw
0: it at her. She didn't hand it to her. So first grade, we're still working on things. Right. Um,
1: and that's part of it too, is like we expect a three year old To fly off the handle and not have a good grip on, you know, minding their impulses as well as, uh, you know, our 10-year-old. Like, our 10-year-old would not... It would be very outside the normal for a a 9-year-old, 10-year-old, even 6-year-old to, like, pull their hair, their sibling's hair, because they weren't getting what they wanted.
0: Yeah. but And then, I think also, to that point, and then if something explosive like that were to happen... With a big kid, then that's the red flag to us as mom and dad of, whoa. Something's going on. Something big is going
1: on. Right. This isn't the normal.
0: Yeah. And I think um, what Philip was speaking to with not just choosing our battles, but deciding when is the right moment to address this behavior. And almost always, it's not in that moment. Right. Because just thinking about human behavior, the way I work, the way Philip is, when we're upset... We don't always want to talk about the thing right then.
1: Right, it's the not moment. the time to learn a new lesson or, you know, be told you're doing wrong, you're doing a bad job, you need to change your behavior. It's not at that moment. It's later when you're calmed down and cooler heads have prevailed.
0: Yeah. Um, I think another helpful thing to remember, too, Philip and I met because we were going to be cabin camp counselors at a YMCA summer camp. Shout out to Camp Foster in Okaboji. We had the most wonderful, awesome camp director, our boss, Bergie, And Bergie would always say to us as a staff that the best cabin counselors are going to be the ones that recognize your campers are not going to all need equal treatment that that's not what fairness looks like fairness looks like looking at all of your campers as individuals not just this big group conglomerate that you're with for the week you're going to see what all of their individual needs are and what's fair is giving each camper what he or she needs right and we've i think taken that philosophy and adopted it as parents
1: yeah we have different expectations for each child in part based on their age, and in part based on what their strengths and weaknesses are in terms of mood, behaviors, uh, ability to cope with adversity, those sorts of things. And part of it is like, so Jane, our oldest, broke her lamp. And so what's the consequence of that? Well, uh, you know, we bought you this lamp, you broke it, you're going to have to save up to get a new one, whereas if that lamp was in our three-year-old's room and she breaks it, it's like, well it's kind of our fault for expecting that a three-year-old can, you know, not throw things or um, not break a, you know, a a lamp that's quite breakable. We will talk to her about not throwing those things, but it's really, you know, not something that that we should have expected a three-year-old to have a good enough grip on that throwing a ball at a lamp would cause it to be broken and we'd have to spend a hundred dollars to replace the lamp or something along those lines.
0: Yeah. Well, that's all that I had for main talking points. I had a couple of concluding thoughts that I thought we could get to. Um,
1: I think our big picture, before we do that, I think the big picture is we spend less time in the moment worrying about what the consequence is or what the lesson that we're going to teach them is and instead say, oh, well, it looks like you just did this and that is a sign that we need to work on things. Um, You know, Let's focus on moving forward, not getting away with things, but moving forward and then learning lessons when we're when we have the bandwidth
0: to learn lessons. Yeah. And I think the main focus for us has gotten, like you said, less about whatever the consequence is going to be, whatever the thing that we need to do or say perfectly as the parent. And the focus is on the relationship with the kid that I think in the past, the moments of discipline, when they were more focused on the consequence and the specifics of what happened, that, the relationship would break down and Mm -hmm. the kids would feel more fear and intimidation Mm -hmm. than being understood and feeling like, yeah, my mom or dad is really going to be there for me next time I behave poorly.
1: Right. And I think that has really changed our stress level, our frustration level around parenting in general. I just don't feel, uh, you know, it's easier to, you, you have more bandwidth when you're not constantly coming up with consequences, when you're not constantly yelling or losing your temper. It's easier to be patient when you have the mindset of, oh, this is kind of what kids do. And let's figure out how to work on not doing this quite as much in the future. But right now, that's what they already did. So let's focus on the relationship, focus on uh, moving forward, and then go from there.
0: I am trying to pull up the name of this. It's called A Place to Belong, and the author is Amber O'Neill Johnston. She's an African-American mother of four, and she, in this book, the subtitle is Celebrating Diversity and Kinship in the Home and Beyond. She's a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, and she has had a passion of trying to make sure her children feel seen and understood in their homeschool. Because unfortunately, there are not a lot of homeschool curriculum from the Charlotte Mason philosophy of education that honor a lot of different voices of color and diverse backgrounds. And where I'm going with this is she has some beautiful advice in this book. I'm only three chapters in, but I'm loving it. And she says, we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know exactly how to handle racial injustice or having these difficult conversations with our kids from day one that we're going to grow and learn together and that that is such a relief for us as moms and dads that when it comes to all these different things whether it's talking about difficult topics handling a difficult discipline moment that if it's about the relationship and working through it with your kid together that You don't have to worry about getting it all perfectly because you can always circle back.
1: Right. There's always a chance to grow. And you have, as a parent, (laughs) like if I'm going to get better at tennis, I have to go to the tennis court. You know, I could do that maybe once a week at the most or twice a week. Um, Parenting, you get to practice every day. Oh, there are countless opportunities. Yeah. So you get a lot more. It's like, you know, if you have a tennis court in your backyard, it's easier to get good at tennis because you can go hit balls whenever you want. Uh, As a parent, you get that opportunity, you know, 10 times an hour.
0: Well, and as a homeschooling mom, holy Toledo, now
1: <laughs> we right. have
0: so many opportunities. Right. Through, and that's kind of been a really huge blessing because the kids, I call it holy sandpaper, the amount of times throughout the day that you guys are rubbing your rough edges off on one <laughs> another, trying to soften the rougher edges, hopefully <laughs> hopefully toward holiness. Um, just working tr- through that together as a family. And you work through things faster. Because you have more practice at it and you are able to work through those big feelings. I think it was a huge milestone for Gloria today at mass when we had that huge Hulk toddler moment for her to, sorry, I've got my alarms going off. Um, yeah, for her just to move through it and say, yeah, I'm, I want that thing. And right. To just say that and then ask for it and then move on.
1: It wasn't taking her out. It wasn't, you know, going in, shaking your fist at her to not do this at church or you know how dare you sort of thing it was just oh we moved on we can talk about it later and then we can try and do better next time which there will be a next time you know oh, in yeah. the next hour
0: 5 minutes later yeah and the other thing too that i would add as a last thought of ways that we're doing things differently i think we are parent parenting consistently behind closed doors and in public mm-hmm. i think we are so much less mortified we are not taking a toddler's behavior personally the way that we used to. We're recognizing it for what it is, that our child is three, she's angry, and that doesn't change behind closed doors versus when we're in public, that she's going to behave that same way regardless of the circumstances. Which
1: is hard. However
0: humiliating it may be.
1: Exactly, because it can be humiliating or it can make you feel like everybody must be looking at you if your toddler is pulling their sister's hair at church When in reality, like I don't know the discipline, I don't know the stuff that's going around in the next pew or two pews in front of me in terms of all the discipline stuff that they're facing. So I really doubt that that many people are watching and seeing it happen. It just feels like all eyes are on you in that moment when everyone has their own stuff that they're thinking about or working through or anything like that. And uh, it it does take a little bit more to have that confidence of, okay, uh, I feel like I'm doing the right things for my child, even though I'm getting these glares at the restaurant, I don't care. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do and I'm protecting our relationship rather than my relationship with the stranger across the room that's giving me uh, the evil eyes. Um, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and be consistent in that way because I know it's right for me and it's right for my family.
0: Yeah, I think parenting from that place of confidence creates so much more peace because you know the focus is where it needs to be and it's on the relationship because that ultimately is what matters. It's that visual of the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal comes back and the father just, in the culture's eyes, humiliates himself running down the road as a grown man to embrace his son and bring him back home. Hormonal lady over here (laughs) is crying. Uh Uh-oh. It's just parenting from this place of, I love my kid. I want to let them know that I love them matter what
1: yeah i think they see that in our family every day
0: yeah so i hope that this conversation has um just encouraged you just inspired you to remind you we're all figuring it all out as we go and we're going to mess up and then it's a chance for us to ask our kids for forgiveness and we learn and we grow together and our kids are so great at forgiveness and moving on and they can teach all of us a lot about learning how to move through the moment Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely
0: anything else to add all right well thanks for tuning in i look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode as always you can email me at podcast at com, and i hope i'll get to add your voice to a future podcast Until next time, I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. Continue the conversation with the people in your life and share what you heard while you were folding.